Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How's it going? It's going well. How about you? Oh, I'm doing well. We are just, I think you and I are in the weeds right now with uh, talking to all of our clients, rehashing um, and talking about post-race stuff, and then also talking a lot with folks who are interested in coaching, which we so appreciate and always get excited when we get new client inquiries. But we were just talking about this offline and we thought we would share with everyone listening. If you're thinking about getting a coach for fall races, now is the time to engage with someone and think about it because June is around a, around the corner. And for most folks, that's kind of the start of official training season to train for a fall, earlier fall marathon. And uh, we, we know that we like to talk to everyone first and make sure we're a good fit for everyone and just giving everyone some unsolicited advice. And that is if you're thinking about coaching now is a great time to reach out to potential coaches, let them know you're interested and see if they have room on their roster. Um, and I know for us, we've been spending a lot of time this week talking with folks and we're really excited to continue working with so many folks and also working with some new people. And as a result, Lisa, you had a lot of calls booked today. I did. I did have a lot of calls. So I thank you for, again, taking over and doing the interview this week. You're very good at interviewing our guests. So I obviously had, you know, knew, knew that uh, our guest was in good hands. But, um, you know, just to touch on what you were talking about, we have had, you know, as soon as we got back from Boston, and I don't think it had much to do with Boston, per se, but just like you said, kind of the timing um, timing of, of the year and, and training cycles. But also, I think some people, you know, I know a lot of the people I've been talking to have said they watched Boston or they tracked friends or runners at Boston and they got excited about their own running. Or maybe they ran Boston and now they are looking toward their their next goals. And it, it, so Boston sort of was a little bit of a, you know, a, an instigation for, for people to reach out to coaches. Um, but I think, uh, you know, something that sort of comes to mind when we're talking about that, and as we've been talking to a lot of different people, um, and it's fun to see where people find us and, um, you know, how they, why they decide to reach out to us. But, uh, you know, it's really a good idea to talk to different coaches and see um, the right fit, because, um, you know, we know we're not even, you know, we're not the right fit for some people. And um, you want to have a good fit with any coach if you're going to work with them. But the other question that you might want to ask yourself is, you know, why do you want to coach? And is that the right avenue for you? Because there are other options. There are group training. You know, if you have a local running club that has a training program, you really have to ask yourself, what are you looking for? What motivates you? Um, because you want to make sure wherever you're investing your time and your money and your efforts for the next several months, that it is going to fit your life. So, you know, if you're somebody who really likes running with groups and meeting on a track with a group and having a big group for a long run really gets you going, then maybe a coach who's going to be working one-on-one -on -one with you and giving you your individual workouts, maybe they're, maybe that's not the right fit, or maybe you do a group program and the coach takes into account those group runs and can incorporate that into the schedule. I know we do that for a lot of people. Um, you know, again, what, what are you looking for accountability? Then a coach is, you know, that could be a good, a good match for you. Are you somebody who's had a lot of injury or, you know, runs into roadblocks in training and you really need something individualized? Uh, so I think that's a good idea right now is to really look at why do you want to coach and then what motivates you and how, who do you work well with? What kind of, um, you know, what, what, what gets you going? Um, you know, is it the data? Is it, you know, or deep dive into the data? Is that what you're looking for a coach to do? Is it, you know, again, just the accountability. So you want a, a some type of platform where you're going to see your progress. Uh, so I think those are important questions to ask yourself and to ask the coach when you talk to them 
and to really find out if that's going to be the right fit for you. And like you said, this is a busy time for coaches. So I know we already, you know, uh, we try to space out the calls when we are talking to runners and we limit how many runners we take because we realize over the years where our threshold is for, you know, where we get to a point where um, we feel like we could be in, in jeopardy of, of sacrificing the individual attention that we like to give to our runners. So we kind of know our threshold and we really have learned to draw a line there so that we don't um, take on more than, than we can handle. So I think this is a busy time now and uh, a lot of coaches are, are booking up. So if you're thinking about taking, talking to a coach, this is, this is the time to do that. Another question to ask a coach to your point is, it's okay to ask how many clients do you have at a time? Because that will allow you to understand sort of where your coach's time is divided. It seems like uh, it doesn't, it's not an intrusive question at all. And it's a very reasonable question to gauge um, sort of what your expectations would be with a particular coach. So yeah, and then the other thing uh, that a coach should also provide, and we're going off on a little tangent, but it's worth mentioning is, the stage that you are in your life, does your coach understand that stage? And that doesn't mean you're like, let's say you just had a baby and you don't need a coach that necessarily had a baby to understand the stage you're in, but does that coach have an understanding of what that looks like in terms of structuring workouts and being flexible with workouts and the event that you didn't have any sleep or conversely, um, let's say you're someone that recently retired and you have a lot more time. Is that coach in a position to structure workouts that would allow you to run a little at times that are more flexible, but also on days that are more flexible because perhaps your life looks different than a typical five day work week. So those are just some examples of factors that you may want to consider when looking for a coach. Yeah, I think that's, those are all important. I think um, you know, a lot of times we get the question and I think this is, a, it's a natural question to ask. And when I would probably ask a coach as well, if I was interviewing a coach, but you know, what's your coaching philosophy? Um, and that's, that's a, you know, that's an interesting question to ask too, because, um, I think, I mean, I personally think that you want to find a coach that doesn't adhere to one strict, um, you know, way of coaching for everybody. And to your point of, you know, if you're somebody who has more time on your hands, if you're somebody who's just had the baby, if you, you know, really, um, and, and just looking at individuals, their, their, um, you know, how, how they respond to different types of training, how they respond to different, um, workouts mentally, even, uh, it really, I think, um, in, in terms of a philosophy, uh, we get people who, or we've heard of people, you know, are looking, oh, I'm looking for someone who follows X method or this method. And I think, um, that's certainly something to take. If, if that's really what you're looking for, then you might want to find somebody who that's, you know, maybe that's the, their method. <laughs> you know, if you're looking for a particular method, find the, find the expert in that method, the one that's written the book on that. Um, but otherwise, I think that you really want to find a coach, like you said, who can look at you as an individual and figure out, you know, what is going to work, what, what, what philosophy is going to work, what, what training approach is going to work best for you. And that's usually for us, I know, pulling together lots of different types of approaches um, to piece together kind of a puzzle for, for an individual. Yeah. I've heard a few times from more experienced coaches than us, more seasoned coaches. I hesitate to use the word older coaches, but coaching is an art. And I very much agree. Like any craft, any expertise, it's not developed from necessarily taking classes or specific education, but rather it's developed from experience and developing sort of an intuition to understand the nuances between different runners and, and what is most important to focus on for each individual runner. And also working 
with the runner. It's not, you need to, you should, you ought to, it's, here's what I suggest. What do you think of that? Because I mean, there are some things that are non-negotiable, like we want to prevent injury, of course, but in terms of how to approach a schedule or what days work best or what workouts work best with one's work schedule, those that's a team effort. And the more that a coach knows about a runner's personal life and a personal schedule, the better that coach can serve that runner. So we just went on a complete tangent, but I think this was a good conversation. I think, so. I think you know, I just started thinking as we were talking about like, what would I ask a coach if I was interviewing or what questions have we been asked that I think are really insightful and are really good. And I think one of the ones you brought up is a really good one is how many runners do you coach? Because I think this comes back to the point you were just making and that we've been making kind of all along is that we as coaches, I know, really want to understand each, get to know each runner individually. And that's how we best coach a runner is to really, really get in their heads, understand what's working for them, what's not working for them, be flexible. And I don't think I personally, I don't know, maybe somebody's a better multitasker than I am, but I don't think I could do that for more than a certain number of people. Like once you get to a a certain number of, of runners that you're coaching, I think it's almost impossible to, um, to really give them that individual attention. So again, some people may be able to do that, but I think that's a really good, uh, when we've been asked that question, I think I would say that's a really good question to ask. Yeah, for sure. And, and everyone, of course, coaches differently. We use final surge. We use a platform that provides a landing spot for all the information. And, and we very much find that to keep us organized. And we believe that it makes us more effective, but there are plenty of excellent coaches out there that use Google spreadsheets and that's okay too. That doesn't make them less of a coach. It just means that they have found something that works for them that allows them to have one place to land all the information. But I would say be leery of coaches that use a lot of different means of communication because to, unless that coach only has a few clients, that to me is a red flag that says that things may get lost in the shuffle. Yeah. Yep. Uh, all good points. And like I said, uh, a little bit of a tangent, but I think especially this time of year, this is really such a busy time of year for us. This, and, it, and it's cyclical. It happens every year sort of at this time of year. And, um, you know, it happens again in um, like October, November, when people start thinking about their spring races. So um, that's kind of been top of our minds recently. And it has been really fun to talk to so many different people and hear so many different stories and uh, hear that people found us in different ways. We get a lot of people who listen to the podcast who um, think it's, I'm, I'm sure you get this too, where I answer the phone or I, you know, get on the phone with them. And they say, oh my gosh, you're live. It's so weird to hear your voice. And I think it's funny. I'm like, I hear my voice all the time, but you know, they hear us through the podcast. And then um, I always say like, it would be nice if all of our runners had podcasts so we could listen to them and get to know their lives. So it's been, it's been fun. It, it really actually uh, energizes me, even though our days are very um, busy and booked with back-to-back -back calls and, you know, really talking to a lot of people right now. I think that um, I get off the phone and I think, wow, that was so neat. That, that person's so, you know, so interesting. They have different stories, different stories of how they came to running, what running means to them. Uh, and I always feel really honored. I know you do too, like kind of humbled that we get to be a part of that journey with our runners. So for our new runners coming in, we have runners returning after many years that, you know, took a break and are coming back. We have runners that have continued with us for many, many, many years. So it's all, um, it's all good and uh, just a busy time right now. But so thank you again for, um, you know, we were coordinating our podcast interview this week and couldn't find a time when both of us were free of any calls. So uh, you took the interview today. So tell us a little bit about who you talked to today. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, today I had the chance to talk to the wonderful Lisa Veneziano and Lisa is 
First of all, she won her age group this year at Boston in April, the 55 to 59 year old female age group. She ran a 305 and in 2021, just six months ago, she ran a 258. It was the first time that she broke three hours since 2003. And um, Lisa's all-time PR is two hours and 50 minutes. What's really unique about Lisa and why we wanted to talk to her, though, isn't just because she is such a speedy runner and a speedy master's runner, but because Lisa has run consistently for three decades. Lisa started running after college. She's been running consistently since the 90s. She's run Boston 16 times. I'm sorry, now 17 times their most recent Boston, but she doesn't just run marathons. She runs every distance and she just crushes it. And that's rare because we find often with runners who are very successful masters runners, particularly in their fifties and sixties. Oh, I took a long break or I started running later. This is someone who's been running consistently since her twenties, all distances. And she recently also set the American record in the 5k and 10k age group for 55 to 59 at the U.S. Uh, track and field championships. And she mentioned in the podcast that she broke a record of her predecessor, Joan Benoit Samuelson. So just a great story. And Interesting, Lisa touches on this as well. She is not at all on social media. And I think this is relevant. We didn't go into it too much, but I'm just going to share my own thoughts about this here. We're the first podcast that Lisa's ever been on, but yet she has this very robust and long running career. Why is that? And it's because she's not on social media. And a lot of folks, including us, didn't really know about her. We hadn't seen her stuff. She hasn't been on other podcasts. And she's not in the media a lot, but she's out there running and has made a tremendous impact on the running community in her own way. It's not through social media, but it's actually doing the thing in person and inspiring women of all ages who run behind her. And she is very, very involved in the Michigan running community, but she also in the summer is out in the uh, Rehoboth Ocean City community where she's won plenty of races alongside um, our past podcast guest and prolific runner, of course, Michael Wardian. And she is known all around the running communities. And I say that in plural, but I just find it really interesting, Lisa, that she is so successful in her craft. She's so successful as a runner and she has managed to do this without having a presence on social media. So interesting, right? <laughs> That is, and just like you said, kind of the longevity of, of her success and um, that she's been able to continue it for so long and to be able to performing at a, such a high level. And I think that probably points to, um, you know, there are people who are sort of running unicorns that have natural ability that can really do that. They're biologically gifted and, you know, are able to do that and, um, uh, you know, avoid injury and and stay strong and and be able to run at that level for a long time. But um, even with that, with that ability, um, you know, I think there's a lot of knowledge and uh, wisdom to be shared, especially with, you know, with our master's women runners that um, as especially as they approach um, retirement and kids are, you know, empty nest where they're starting to have more time to focus on themselves and they're running again. And I think that's, um, you know, that's uh, something that's relevant to all runners, not only fast runners or runners that are naturally gifted, but I think we all kind of deal with that same that, that shift in life. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. And every time I talk to runners, I was talking to a, a, a 
potential new runner today and she has very little kids and she was saying how it's so hard to get out because she wants to be home when they wake up and they wake up so early. And I said, just wait, <laughs> just wait. It goes by really fast. And one day your kids won't wake up until noon or they, they do, they don't even care if you're there anyway, or they're out driving themselves to their sport practice. And it changes so much. And I think that's something, you know, the, throughout life, especially as women runners, you know, the, our, our running has changed the way we train has changed. Um, the way we look at our training has changed the way we have to recover. So many things, so many things change. So I think that she, is somebody who, you know, hopefully can reflect on, on how that has gone for her and how she stayed successful all the way through. And, you know, what she's doing with her time now that she's got a little bit more time to focus on her running. For sure. And we're going to link it in the show notes and we reference it in the episode, but she wrote a a really nice essay. She is uh, retired and she was an executive at General Motors, high level executive. And she wrote a really nice essay sort of um, about the parallels between career and running and the things that she's gained as a lifetime runner and how she's applied that to her career and her success and how she has always been, one of her core beliefs is lifting up other women in the workplace. And similarly, while in the sport of running, while of course she's competing against other women, she also likes to lift up and inspire women and run alongside them and help them be their best, just like in the corporate world. So that is how Lisa lives her life. That's one of her core values. And even though she is now retired, uh, she is still working and, and she'll talk about this too. She owns a business as a retired executive with her husband and is really just someone who is very joyful about her running and very, very thankful about the fact that she is still running at a high level and can do all the things. And there, there certainly is a pattern, Lisa, with so many of the master's runners we've had the pleasure of interviewing over the past few years, and that is they all have an attitude of gratitude, and that goes so far. And instead of looking at, oh, I used to be this, I used to be that, looking at it like, look what I continue to get to do, and I am enjoying this so much. And that's exactly who Lisa V is. And uh, I really hope everyone enjoys this conversation as much as I did. I know you will, Lisa. And I really hope that people's takeaways from this, regardless of uh, what your running times are, who cares? It's We're all running the same races and how we approach those races are not always the same. And it's okay to do something different than what everyone else is doing and find success in your own way. I love that. And I think that goes back to social media too. And if she's not on social media and not letting that um, affect her, I know I've had that conversation with actually a couple of runners this week um, who are getting, and we, we've talked about this before, but who are kind of getting caught up in the social media of seeing uh, workouts on social media and wondering if they, they should be doing workouts like that, or are they, you know, uh, you know, comparing the comparison, falling into the comparison trap. And um, I think that's such a, a danger of social media. So perhaps, you know, by not being on social media, even though Lisa has not gotten maybe the attention that a lot of other runners have gotten. Um, hopefully that's kind of freed her up to, like I said, do her own thing, um, focus on the joy in running and, and kind of just keep her head down and get the work done. Yep. hundred percent. It's interesting. You mentioned that. I just, one thought, one of our runners wrote a note to us in final surge this week, where she said that she really enjoyed running her easy run, super easy. And what really helped her do that is she finally uh, made her Strava private And it took away that pressure of feeling like you need to perform when running these easy runs. And I'm not on Strava. I know you're not either. And um, that's pretty much why I just, sometimes you, you got to just, Molly Seidel just went, kept 
put some of her, uh, you know, runs private to. I think that it's really as wonderful as social media is, and there's certainly an element of support and encouragement and motivation that comes from it. There's a fine line, and um, we're all individual, and it's really. Um, I think there's a lot of pressure when you put things out publicly to make it look perfect and look great. And I think then when other people are looking at it, uh, it, it can have a tendency to to um, to to trigger that comparison. And it's not um, it, it's not usually what's best for training because um, you've got to train where you are, what's right for you. And again, keep your head down and and um, get the work done and trust in your training. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah. So Lisa, I hope you have a great week. Thanks, Julie, you too. And thanks again for doing the interview. I can't wait to listen. My pleasure. Up next is Lisa V. Bye, Lisa. Bye, Julie. Lisa Veneziano, welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Before we start, Lisa and I could not believe that you haven't been on any running podcasts until ours because you have a phenomenal story. So we are so excited to bring your story to podcast listeners, but we have no doubt that there are many folks out there who already know your name because of all of the accomplishments you've had over the past uh, few decades as a runner and as an athlete. So Lisa, um, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. I'm very excited to be here and tell my story. Yeah. So first of all, let's get started. Could you share with our listeners a little bit about your personal background and professional background and, and where you're from and where you live now? Okay, sounds good. Um, well, I grew up in Pennsylvania, so I I currently live in Michigan, but um, grew up in Pennsylvania. I went to the, the great Penn State University. Um, I'm the biggest Penn State alumni uh, fan out there. <laughs> um, I got an industrial engineering degree, and right after um, college, I started working for General Motors, and that uh, took me to Michigan. Um, so I um, I lived in Michigan the majority of my career with General Motors, uh, 35 years. Um, I did move to Ohio, both um, uh, Columbus and Cincinnati. I lived there for a, a period of about eight or nine years in the middle. But other than that, I've been in Michigan and um, had just a, a great career at General Motors. I love the company. I was uh, an executive there, ran their global supply chain um, and retired. Um, out of that role in at the end of 2020. And, um, and at the end of 2020, after I retired, I realized that sleep and eating right and all that matters. And, and I've been actually having a, a bit of even more success with my running since I retired, because I'm able to focus more on myself, if you will. Um, but but I kept up with my running and, um, and fitness and everything while well I was at General Motors as well is very just one of my priorities and very important to me. So but what am I up to after retirement? Um, my husband and I have been married for 38 years as of April. Um, we actually he retired from Quick Concrete Company. Um, a couple of years before I did. So we decided we wanted to um, to do something that's flexible and on our time. And so we uh, actually have a class B dealer license. We are a used vehicle dealership. So um, so that's uh, what keeps us busy. And uh, we have two sons. I uh, don't want to miss uh, some of the most important things in my life, uh, my husband and my two sons. Um, one is a junior in high school right now. And he is 17 and we've got a 20 year old who is a sophomore in college. So, uh, so that's my life. And, um, you know, our, we're getting our boys into the, um, into the vehicle dealership as well, but, um, but it's pretty exciting. I'm, I'm so, so elated, you know, to have had a great career at General Motors and now to be retired and to kind of have 
the world at my fingertips. <laughs> Feel well, like they're working all over the universe and having the flexibility. And and I I love fitness and um, I love running. So it uh, gives me the ability to focus on that more. So Lisa, first of all, we could do a whole separate podcast on balancing career and family because clearly mm. you've done a tremendous job at that. And um, I do want to talk about that in a little bit because you wrote a really compelling uh, essay recently about the analogy of running and career and how you can use a lot of the lessons in running toward career. So I, I do want to touch on that in a bit, but first of all, a couple of okay. things. First of all, um, on a personal note, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, so I love that you live there. And I, oh, also, I love Columbus. <laughs> it's a great city and it's a great yeah. running town. Just, just like I know you're entrenched in the running community in Michigan. Mm -hmm. I know the running community in Columbus is, is very similar and very tight knit. And, and secondly, I love that you went to Penn State because um, we just finished the college process with my oldest son, who is um, headed to Penn State in the fall. So it's very comforting to know, uh, hear success stories from Penn State graduates like you. You will not be disappointed. He will not be disappointed. It is a, just an outstanding school um, all the way around. Campus is great. Everything about it. Can't say enough good things. And about Columbus, just a little story. Um, I, while at Columbus, actually, before I moved to Columbus, I came across this, this uh, event called the um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, it's an, it's a whole fitness weekend. I'm not sure you're sure if you're familiar with that or not. But um, so I started doing this probably, I don't know, 20 years ago. And it's a, there's a pump and run part of it. So Arnold Schwarzenegger typically comes out and starts the 5K with the gun and, you know, wishes everybody well, wishes the only only bad thing is this year he wasn't able to make it. But it's a pump, you know, bench press combo and then you run a 5K and whoever has the best time um, when you actually take time off of your 5K for every rep that you that you bench press um, wins. And I. I I think I've won that eight times outright, not as a master. So I ran it this year again in March and, uh, and I ended up getting, cause you can max out at 30 reps, um, once you bench press. And so, uh, I ended up winning it again to this year as a 57 year old <laughs> for the women. I was, so you, yeah. you are the first woman in a pump and run Arnold Schwarzenegger led event as a 57 year old woman. That is so amazing. And this is in Columbus, this event. Yes, it is. It's okay. part of the Arnold Schwarzenegger, or Schwarzenegger uh, weekend. And that's just one of the events. He has tons of uh, obviously heavy lifting events and things like that. But there's all kinds of things uh, during that weekend. And they, they've they had the, the pump and run as part of it since it started. So it's, a, it's just fun. That is fantastic. <laughs> Congratulations. So that is uh, really ties into what we wanted to talk about on this episode today, which is you are quite an anomaly, Lisa, because you are 57 years old and you have been running consistently for over three decades and running successfully. So we wanted to just, first of all, ask you about your running background and um, how you started and where you are now. Okay. So how I started running, I'll say how I started running competitively was back in I believe it was 89, uh, 1989. I had started, I worked for General Motors for about three years and I had always been fitness conscious. So I used to do aerobics. So I got out of college and I, you know, started working my husband and I, and he always was into fitness as well, mostly lifting weights. 
And so, um, so I was doing aerobics and whatnot. Um, I would maybe run a mile around the, you know, the neighborhood uh, just to get a little cardio in, whatever. And so a coworker, her and her husband put on a four mile road race with our church, <laughs> Holy Redeemer. I'll never forget it in Burton, Michigan. And, um, and so we belong, we actually belong to the same church. And, um, and so she said, you know, we're putting this race on you're, you're in shape. Why don't you and your husband, we have a married couple division. Why don't you and your husband join, you know, just um, enter this race. I'm like, "Mm, okay, so why not? Let's do it. It was a four miler. So we did, and we won the married couple division. I was like second female overall. I'll never forget. I ran 2701. (laughs) And I thought, Hey, I don't like this. I think I'm kind of good at running competitively. So from there on, I started racing and I love to race. I, I race often. Um, I'm a little more selective now that I'm getting older, but, um, but I think, you know, racing is one of the ways that I get myself into shape because I'm not a person that goes to the track. Um, I've never been somebody that does track work, you know, religiously or anything like that. So racing to me is um, helping me get, um, get, get into shape for running fast. And, uh, but that's the way it started from 1989. That was my first race. And then from there I I got hooked. (laughs) So has you mentioned um, that, as you've gotten older, you've gotten more selective with your races. Mm-hmm. Are you still the same though, as when you were younger and you first started out where your racing is actually your speed work or have you implemented some speed work as you've targeted uh, less races and more um, pointed races when you're determining your schedule? Well, or not after all these years of running, I'm still trying to figure that out. And because I have, um, I've never been coached. I never, I didn't run in high school or college. I've never had a professional coach. So I'm always just trying to pick up tips and, you know, figure out what the right recipe is. And so I, you know, I've been somewhat successful at that, but I've always wondered what would be like if I actually had a coach telling me what to do and when. So actually for the first time um, in uh, started at the end of January this year, I ha- I'll say coach consultant. Um, I've engaged with someone to help give me some um, uh, ideas on what my plan should be for my training plans. And so as part of that, um, she's putting in some faster uh, running for me, but it's still not track work. <laughs> so I, um, I, yeah, I can probably count on my hand, my fingers and toes, the number of times I've done true track work in my life. (laughs) Um, so, so I just have different ways of doing it. I love tempo runs. Um, I think, and, and I just have figured out a few things that work for me over the years, but I will say I'm trying to incorporate, um, some of the suggestions that, um, that my coach consultant is, is giving me this year. So I'm only a couple months into it. Um, and so um, I'm very conscious about not doing things that's going to get me injured. And so, um, so that's one of the reasons I, you know, that I, I stay away from true track work um, and try to find different ways of, of, of making sure that I can get the, the fast twitch muscles going. So. so what are some of the ways over the years that you've gotten the fast twitch muscles going um, mm-hmm. in addition to going out and racing? So real to me, tempo runs. Um, I just believe in tempo runs. And, um, and so to, what that is for me is either tempo and, and or progression, you know, warm up for a mile or two. And then I get into, you know, a fast pace, either right off, you know, a fast pace right away and hold it 
for X miles, or I do a progression and just keep getting faster every mile. And that works really well for me. And, and like last year, I was just, honestly, I was amazed at some how fast I would race um, because I wasn't training at those paces, but I was holding a high, a, like a close pace for a, a you know, for a, an extended mileage or period of time. And I think that just really works for me to enable me to run faster on race day. So, uh, so that's really my recipe at this point. That's what's worked for me versus and track work. With um, your tempo runs, obviously you don't do those for every workout. So what do you do to balance those out to um, avoid injury? Well, um, I do have easy runs. So, I mean, obviously that's just, you know, one of the key components is having those days when you just run easy. Um, but there, you know, so a couple of days a week I'll run easy. Otherwise I'm trying to do something meaningful, <laughs> either a tempo run, decent pace, right? I just, um, you know, two minutes or more slower than my race pace, I'll try to keep in the seven minute pace range. Um, but really, I'll tell you the other thing that that I do that I think supplements my running for fitness wise and helps me to run fast as well. And also keeps me injury free is cross training. I am yeah, I am huge, huge on cross training. At least two days a week, I do cross training and often no running with it. Um, sometimes I'll throw in a couple miles at the end just for some more cardio, but I have a zero runner. I um, have a, a spin bike and an elliptical and they all get used regularly. And then in the summer, what I like to do is get out and um, do my road bike. I would prefer to do that than the spin bike, but I would tell you that doing the spin bike you can't just lollygag on it i mean it is the toughest workout that i have when i get off that thing i want to just die <laughs> so i think pushing yourself like that it's kind of like a tempo run in my opinion um because you're really pushing yourself and strengthening your your muscles and everything so that's my other secret um so really compared to other runners running at your level all these years your mileage is obviously very low in comparison it's low Mm -hmm. Can you share generally over the years and now what your typical weekly mileage is? Um, I would say if I get an average of 40, I'm lucky. <laughs> so in that I'd love to, and that's, I think really that's my sweet spot. I don't feel like I need to go. Uh, I never average 50. I mean, I remember when I was um, like in the year 2000, when I've had um, my best race times, I remember being elated that I got like 55, 60 miles for a couple of weeks leading up to some marathon training. Um, but I mean, my work schedule and everything and being a mom, et cetera, it just never enabled me to uh, get that much mileage in. And plus I've just had hamstring issues for a long time, a hamstring glute issues for a long time. And so I baby them and I just don't, I, I'm concerned that my body won't hold up if I go much over an average of what I do now, which is about 40. I'm lucky if I average 40, uh, it goes a little bit higher, um, sometimes in the summer. Um, but you know, if I get up to 45, that's, that's really a bonus, but oh, I cross train. I mean, my cross training counts. <laughs> Absolutely. So. And props to you for listening to your body and, and understanding that there's more than one way to skin a cat, because 
especially at the level and the times that you are achieving, it's very easy to get sucked into the vortex over the years of, well, I'm looking at everyone around me at the start line and they're all, they all do 100 mile weeks and here I am doing 50 miles. Mm -hmm. How were you able to stay your path and recognize that it was working for you without trying to do what others were doing? Well, I just, I'm just so conscious about getting injured because I've had a couple of episodes over the years and one in particular, um, it was, it almost took, you know, it, it was almost to a point where I wasn't going to be able to run anymore. And, um, and so I am just, I'm adamant that I am not going to let, you know, like run somebody else's training plan that works for them. I'm going to continue to listen to my body and make sure that I'm doing what I know will enable me to continue to run. And so that's how I have just, you know, it, I kind of close out. I do look at, you know, I have a few people that I follow on Strava now um, that I'm retired and have the time to do that. Um, and I do watch them and try to pick up tips that I can that I can pull my way that I think will work for me. And so that I do, but I don't, I don't just duplicate what they're doing. And I agree with you. I mean, sometimes it is tempting, but I, I don't go there. And actually, Julie, in my mind, um, I kind of think it's cool. I'm like, well, I can do all this at 40 miles a week. <laughs> Absolutely. So I think it's kind of even a bigger bonus um, because I'm doing it on my terms. So. Absolutely. So you referenced... <laughs> you, you referenced injury and uh, we were going to talk about that anyway. So why don't we talk about it now? Can you share a little bit about some of the tougher times you've experienced and how you were able to manage those injuries? Okay. So um, I, I don't, I am knock on wood. I have not had a a huge uh, number of injuries over the years. Um, but I have had one chronic one and that is my hamstring glutes. And so, um, and so how that happened is I kind of got caught up in this marathon thing, right? So I, I started doing marathons and um, trying to think of the first year for, I ran the Detroit marathon. I think it was 93 or 94. And so I had run the marathon. I was all excited about it. And um, and I ran a 5k the next, the following weekend. And that was a mistake. And so then I, I strained my hamstrings and I'm, I have been dealing with that ever since. And so I, I stretch, um, you know, I ice all the time, et cetera. And so, um, I, so I, I have been able to manage them, but I've, and I remember this, like it was yesterday in 2006, when we moved from Ohio to Michigan, um, I was having a bout with my hamstrings. Um, so I strained them, did something, I, you know, and I obviously didn't listen to my body enough and my, my hamstrings are strained. So I moved to Michigan and I went to a physical therapist and he was starting to treat me and whatnot. And he said, you know, this is really your back. It's not your hamstrings and you, you need to stop running. It's just, you just can't run anymore. <laughs> and so I, I left there and I screamed on the way home, the whole way home, like this can't be happening. Are you kidding me? And so I just, um, I resolved myself to get a second opinion. I left that place and I went to another physical therapist. Um, and I, so I just need some, you know, some hardcore 
therapy, you know, for hand strains. I've been here before and I think it's still going to work. And so they did the ultrasound. They gave me some good stretching routines and the rest is history. I mean, so that's advice to me is like, never, you know, take that. Always get a second opinion and, um, and, you know, don't count yourself out. Um, so don't give up <laughs> if you have an injury, somehow somebody's going to help you get through it. But so that, that's really, that's the injury that I typically deal with, but I mean, I had, I had a stress fracture. Um, this was probably because I was ramping into marathons and I ran the Boston marathon in, um, I think, I think it was early on again. See, this is what I'm trying to, I was trying to figure out, you know, how to stay injury free and whatnot, but I had a stress fracture in like 1997 and I ran that marathon. <laughs> the Boston with, uh, with a stress fracture, uh, take, had to take a few Advils to get through it, but I, I got to the finish line. Um, so that's another injury that's been a while back. And then I guess the other one is crazy is, um, another Boston story in 2017, I was in pretty good shape, you know, coming into the marathon. Um, my husband and I, we fly in, we get there on Friday night. I got there a day earlier than we typically did. And so, um, so Saturday morning, there's a 5k that goes along with Boston, as you know, cause you've run Boston 12 times. I think I saw. And, um, and so we don't enter the 5k. We just kind of run along at the back with the runners. So, so we're running along and my, I was, um, looking one way and talking to my husband, the other way, as I looked over and I said, do you want to run with the backpack or do you want to like circle around and try to see the, the front runners come in? And just as I was saying that, my foot went into a manhole cover that was about an inch or two. Yes. Uh, uh, oh my gosh. Road surface. And I heard my ankle pop and I went skidding down and I looked up and I was right at the feet of one of the Boston policemen. He looked at me and said, are you okay? And I got up and like, I'm okay. Yes, I'm okay. And I started trying to like walk it off, like jog it off. And I looked down and my ankle was bigger than I could, bigger than my, my thigh. And so, um, Needless to say, 2017, I made it to Boston. I was there, but I didn't run it because I was in, my husband pushed me in a wheelchair. We went and parked over by the 25 mile mark, which is typically where my family watches me come through. <laughs> and I got to see Boston in a whole different viewpoint. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh. So you know what though? I love that you just said that. I got to see Boston in a whole different viewpoint. Yes. I, I experienced an injury in 2019 that, I decided to go to Boston anyway, and I have said the same thing. It is really magical to watch the race. Now, certainly in your case, and it was dramatic, and I'm sure you were processing it, but did you feel that was a silver lining at the time to have that opportunity? It was. It was incredible. I mean, especially at the location that we were um, right around the 25-mile mark, you see, you know, that you only have a mile or so to go and it's tough on those miles. And, uh, it was incredible for me. I mean, it made me appreciate running that race even more just running in general, but running and getting to Boston and being able to do it because these, a lot of these people that I saw, you know, that had prosthetics and things like that. And they were just getting, you know, just doing it, just making, you know, making it happen. And, um, and just so elated and happy to be there. And so that, yes, absolutely gave me a, a renewed, you know, love of, of getting to Boston and making it through. So. And after you recovered from that acute injury, were you able to make it to the lovely Boston in 2018? 
Oh, yes, I did. <laughs> uh huh. And uh, I was praying as I saw that weather forecast that it was going to change and it just got worse. <laughs> so, yeah, that I, there's two Boston's that I remember the coldest and the hottest. And 2018, uh, you did you run it, Julie? Yes, that Lisa and I, probably people listening to this podcast are so tired of us talking about it because really it was just the worst race in terms of weather, but it it's was. a great I've never story. Run a race that was worse. <laughs> no. It was no, horrible. The, the hot year for us was 2012, but I know before oh. that there was a hot year, I believe it was 2003 or 2004. So perhaps you ran both hot years. I see, I didn't run 2003 and 2004. So there was a period um, I've been running Boston since 1996. And so now I've got 17 of them in, but um, there was a period when I was having kids. <laughs> and, uh, and so, and I was in Ohio and it just wasn't working out and whatever. So I didn't run the three and four. So the, my hot was 2012. Yeah. So I, yeah, the hottest, uh, I think race I've ever done. Yeah, that was a tough one. I swear though, I would take 2012 over 2018. Absolutely. I mean, hands down. Hands down. Hands I've down. been asked that question. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love running in the heat actually. So I'm, I'm a hot weather runner. I, in the summers, um, I don't have any issue And Michigan has beautiful summers. And last year, for example, you know, we had a lot of days that were high 80s, uh, 90, low 90s. And I have no issue at going out at two in the afternoon and just hitting a 10 mile run in, in that weather. Love it. So you have, you feel like your tolerance to the heat hasn't changed much as you've gotten older, you've been able to manage it. That's great. Right. No, I don't, I don't see that it has. If anything, I think it's gotten better. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I run well in the heat. Do you attribute to um, being able to manage it and enjoy it? Um, what do you think the factors are that allow you to do that? Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, do you think it's consistency perhaps in going out in the heat and even when it is not necessarily optimal? Yeah, I, I, I think you do get your body used to it. Um, and so I, I, I I do notice if I, you know, like right now, we've, we have a, a bout of warm weather uh, and it's not been warm in Michigan. It's been a long, cold winter. <laughs> and so I can notice that I, my tolerance isn't quite as good um, when early on, but as I build up to it. So yeah, absolutely. Consistency. If you want to run well in the summer and the heat, you've got to, you've got to train in that type of, in that type of environment. hundred percent. So before we hop off the injury topic, I just wanted to follow up after you had your hamstring issue and you, you are very aware of it um, still, which is great. What strength training routines have you implemented into your training that has also helped you prevent further injury? Well, I don't really have one. <laughs> um, actually, from strength training, I, I don't have anything as a, as far as a, um, a solid routine, but what I do do is I try to stretch not as often as I should, but stretching to me for those hamstrings and that glute issue I have, it makes a difference. So I think that, uh, so I, I, it's not like I do squats or anything like that on a regular basis. I, maybe, maybe that's something that I can start incorporating in. I've, I've started talking to my coach consultant about that and you know, what, what is it that I, that I could do? Um, but I do not do anything 
other than my biking and you know all the cross training that I do um, that I do think helps my legs and my you know keeps me injury free there. But it's really the stretching and any strength training. I push ups. I'm a push up gal. I uh, I like to do push up contests with the with the guys with our with our friends and I always win. <laughs> so I do have I a strong you- upper body. You clearly are strong. I assume you did strength training because, you know, you went out and won the pump and run, but clearly that's something that comes fairly easily, easily to you as an endurance athlete. It, it, yeah, I think so. I just, um, maybe naturally have some strength. Um, people look at me and discount me because my arms don't look like I can, (laughs) but, um, I, I'll go up against most anybody on the push-up contest and I do them the right way. My, my husband is um, a former Marine. And so I do, you know, the touch your nose, go all the way up, you know, no, no cheating on those push-ups. So, um, but I, uh, I do only bench press a little bit just so I can get used, used to it for that pump and run. So maybe once a month, <laughs> I'll do a bench press and uh, as it's leading up to the pump and run, I'll do it maybe, you know, more like once a week. Um, But that's about it. Um, Yeah, I am interested in getting more into strength training, though, now that I'm retired and I'm getting older. And I know that I want to maintain my my muscle mass more than I had in the past. So, you know, I love that you're you're still clearly your formula is working and I love that you're still aspiring to do more. But I do want to touch on the fact that you did something really amazing this year. You ran at age 57, two Bostons in a six month period. The first one was in 2021, where you broke three hours for the first time since 2006. Is that correct? And then you uh, ran- maybe two, yeah, I think it's 2003. I mean, it's, yeah, a long time. And, and then you <laughs> I've ran been looking to break three hours again for a long time. And I was elated. Yeah, it's incredible. And then in a six month period, again, you came back a few weeks ago in 2022 and you placed first in your age group at Boston. So two incredible achievements within a six month period. Talk to me and just tell me, what do you think it was that allowed you to have this very unusual breakthrough or rejuvenation of your run as someone in their mid fifties? Well, I had a great 2021. Um, if I look back on my running and then, I mean, they, the ultimate was running a 258 at Boston. I mean, I, I was elated. I'm, I mean, I, I couldn't, I, I asked that question as well, Julie, and like, how did I pull this all together to come to, to this, especially at Boston? I did look back on my training and um, first of all, I was retired and it makes a difference. I, I realized that that makes a difference. You know, I mean, I was very um, focused on my job. I worked a ton of hours. I was always on my computer and I fit my, I always um, made a point of getting a workout in, but often it was just fitting it in. And I would always do it in the morning because if I didn't do it in the morning, it wouldn't happen. And so sometimes it would just be 20 minutes on the elliptical or something just to get it in. But I, I needed that for my stress relief and to start off my day um, and to have a good day at work. So I was always very committed to that and consistency and, you know, never breaking that. I never wanted to get out of the routine. So um, so that all worked for me. But once I retired, I was able to really um get good workouts in every day. I didn't have to just fit in that 15 or 20 minute workout in. Um, I, I got better sleep 
and probably eating more balanced. I've always been a healthy eater, but um, eating more balanced. So that helped me. And then um, just that consistent running in 2021 and those consistent workouts and lots of good tempo runs and um, everything just came together. Um, and in fact, I ran Boston right in October, ran a 258. And then I ran the Philly marathon in November, uh, mid-November, and I ran a 256. So it's like, oh my gosh, I missed that. That's entirely. incredible. Yeah. So, so then I have a story about this Boston and it was very special to get to that finish line because I, uh, you know, I was, uh, wondering, you know, how all my training was going to lead up into my Boston now, six months later, um, you know, is, am I going to be able to perform better? Am I going to be, you know, be at the same level or, um, are my legs, you know, maybe a little worn out for some of the, cause I ran the Atlanta marathon earlier this year too, or as a trainer, um, because I was there to run a master's 5k anyway. So I thought, well, the marathon was the next day. Well, take advantage of that. Okay. So yeah, I know there's so many people out there, I'm sure that are run a 5k and they're like, well, I'm here for the 5k. So I might as well run the marathon too. (laughs) There anyway. And I, uh, I've never done that. I've never run a 5k and then run a marathon the next day. So I put that, Hey, that's in my bucket list check off now. So, um, so I did that and I used it as a trainer, but it's still taxing as you know, Julie, you know, marathons tax your body. And so I was just wondering how, you know, how I was going to perform in Boston this year. I'm just excited to get back in either case. So the, um, the week before Boston, my husband and my son come down with a very bad cold, cold flu type symptom, like tested for COVID ruled it out. Not, and I'm, I'm like, please, don't let me get this. And so I'm fine. I'm fine. We get to Boston and everything Saturday. I start feeling bad. (laughs) And Saturday night, I am feverish. I, my body aches. uh, My head is pounding. And as I'm like rolling around in bed, I'm thinking there is no way, absolutely no way I can run Boston on Monday. I just can't. I just, so I got up Sunday and I'm, you know, I'm, still feeling bad. And I thought I'm doing it. I, if I have to crawl across that finish line, I'm going to run this race. And so, um, so I was, uh, not feeling my best for Boston this year. And, um, so I took some Tylenol, right. Because I can't take anything else. It's bad on my stomach. And, um, and I thought, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to run the best that I can hang on for as long as I can and just get to the finish line. Right. And so, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, uh, <laughs> I was waiting for the start line, having chills and everything in my bum, like, okay, take another Tylenol. And, um, and actually I ran my first half was, I was on pace to go under like just right around just under three. And I, I knew I couldn't hold it. Cause I was all the, it was all catching up with me, but, um, but I still hung on very well to run a three Oh five. So Julie, I was elated that I was able to run. I'm like, I couldn't believe it. I felt like I was running so slow in the second half. Um, But I ran, I pulled off a 305. And then when I found out that I won my age group, I just absolutely did backflips. I mean, that is a really amazing. I've never won my age group in Boston. I've got a third place, I think in 16. Um, I got second place last year uh, to an awesome runner um, in my age group. And then like, got first place this year. So it was a special year for me. 
That's really incredible. And, and while certainly we don't ever recommend running while sick, we, we understand why you made the decision you did yeah. because you were in Boston. And, and mm-hmm. I like that you had a plan where you had, you had an exit plan. So in the event that you felt like you couldn't do anymore, you knew you had an out, but it sounds like as you went through, you felt good enough to be able to manage the symptoms yeah. and run. Um, when you've been running these races, especially as a master's, has your nutrition changed since you first started successfully running marathons? And what does your nutrition look like now, including your most recent Boston? My nutrition preparing for the race? You're fueling or... during you're fueling during the races. What do you do for oh, fueling? fueling during the race? Oh, okay. Uh, nope. I I still do the same thing. And um, and so what I do is, and I know that this probably isn't very popular for most people either. But um, especially now that the race starts at 10 a.m. because it used to start at noon and I would have to eat something like maybe a couple bites of a bagel or whatever. But um, I don't eat anything prior to any races um, unless they're an afternoon race, of course. But so for Boston in particular starts at 10 a.m. I don't eat anything. I take a goo um, the 15 minutes before the race and then I take a goo every six miles. And that's, which, that's my nutrition, which for, for you, every six miles is, is about 30, 38 to 40 minutes. Yeah. And they say yeah. every 45 minutes for me, I've worked it out where it's every six miles. That's um, mm-hmm. so I, I take goo. I've just kind of gravitated to goo. I know there are other, you know, um, supplements out there, but that seems to work best for me. And, um, I, I take the Roctane. Um, mm-hmm. so in the middle of the race, so starting at mile, I think mile 12 and 18 is the Roctane. And, um, but otherwise it's just regular goo with caffeine. I usually do the goo with caffeine. So, um, I'm admittedly shocked that you don't eat anything before Boston, uh, especially because it is a mid morning race. Are you hungry? Is there a reason you, you don't eat and how do you hydrate? Um, I, I guess it's just because that's, what's always worked for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm concerned that I'll have stomach issues if I, if I eat anything and goo doesn't give me stomach issues. Mm-hmm. So I haven't deviated from the plan because I don't seem to have an upset stomach or, um, I'm not starving or anything. So I, it's not like I have the need to have food right before running. It's more important for me to have, you know, to, um, not have any issues during the race. And so hydrating, I do hydrate, um, every single mile. Um, I, I take a sip or two. And, um, so I'm very conscious about that. that, So I don't get dehydrated. Um, and I don't take, uh, it's water because I'm taking goo, the goo consistently every six miles. I really just do water. Um, I very rarely will take the Gatorade or whatever else they're giving out, um, because I don't feel that I need that along with the goo. So, um, and do you front carbohydrates the days leading up to your marathon so that you have carbohydrates in your stores before you run that morning? Well, um, I've never really been like overly focused on that either. Um, I, I, I try to throw in some things, um, you know, that are higher in carbo carbohydrates mm-hmm. that also give some good protein boosts. You like the, you know, beans and, um, you know, sweet potatoes and things like that. So yeah, I, 
I just, but overall, I, I like to eat that stuff anyway. <laughs> so it's, I don't have to really deviate too much from my normal diet. I think that's, that's a really interesting point and something that I know so many runners aspire to. And that is ideally when we are preparing and leading up to our races, changing our diets that much, because theoretically that's the diet we should be using through our training. Yeah. So let me ask you about your recovery. First of all, how was your recovery from this most recent Boston, given that you weren't feeling well, was it any different and how are you feeling now? Um, well, I mean the, the day after it was crazy. It's almost like one of those, you elevate yourself to where you need to be, you know, for those moments or that time frame, and then you crash. But, um, yeah, I was feeling kind of bad that afternoon, <laughs> In terms you. Of, you know, just, uh, the, the old body aches and whatnot. So, but, um, but to tell you the truth, I was on cloud nine. Um, and, uh, and I, they actually, I went to the, um, they had a, a uh, party at Fenway Park for age group winners and or uh, top three in the age group, I believe. And it was the first time they've ever done it. Oh my gosh, it was so much fun. Um, so that helped my recovery for sure. And uh, and so, but my recovery is, it, it was, it was fine. Um, I am big on, you know, I take days off for if I feel like an injury is coming on or after I've had a hard run. So after the marathon, I cross trained and no running for three or four days um, just to make sure I felt because I, I don't trust my hamstrings to do well if I start running on them right after a marathon like that. And so I cross trained for three or four days and then I ease myself back into running. And yeah, I'm feeling good now. I'm, you know, I, it, it took me a couple of weeks to get the speed back in my my legs, but, um, but I feel like I'm, I'm recovered from the marathon for sure. At this point. That's great. Have you noticed at all as a master's runner, any changes in your recovery in terms of, um, either between intervals on a tempo run and more on a macro level after workouts and between workouts? No, I don't. I, 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 I haven't noticed that yet, but this is what I have noticed. I have noticed that I need a much longer warm up to run fast. Totally. I'm telling you, at least three miles <laughs> for me, not, not for a marathon, of course, I don't warm up for a marathon, but, um, but to run fast, like before I would run any, any type of uh, tempo run or something like that, I absolutely need to warm up for it. And, um, and certainly for a race, you know, I, I do a minimum of three miles these days. And I'll tell you when I was young, I could, I could jump into it, you know, if I was running late or whatever, but, um, but I would only do one or two miles, um, when I was younger, but now I, I need that three miles plus it just, um, helps me, helps me run faster, quicker, um, when I'm running a race. We see that across the board with all of our masters runners and including ourselves. And it's not a bad mm -hmm. thing because you need the miles anyway. So you just add them to your warm up and maybe a little less on your cool down if you run out of time. Yeah. Yep. No, I totally agree. Yeah. It's worth it. And it, um, if you try to do it without that warm up, then uh, again, it's, it's risking injury. So for sure. So you've had a tremendous amount of, of success in every distance and you're really hitting your prime. Um, you just recently won the masters U S track and field, uh, 10 K you set a record and that was also in 2021. And then of yeah. course you killed it in Boston. And then you just mentioned in Philly, 
and then with a cold, you crushed it again in Boston. So was there ever a time in your running journey where you would, if someone would have told you about this and the future you, that all this would be happening, that you would say, no way? Or do you, are you someone that you are able to sort of look past a tough race or a tough year and just keep on going? Oh yeah. I definitely look past it and keep on going. I just, uh, you know, I, my theme is never count yourself out and never think that you'll stop improving and improving means something different at, for, for different people and in different times of your life. Right. So now, I mean, I'm still not ruling out that I could still set some PRs. <laughs> You shouldn't rule it out. Look what you're doing. When I was younger, I wasn't focusing on running as much. And so those were my prime times. So who knows what I could have done if um, if I would have focused on it more when I was younger. I didn't. So who cares? Now I'm focusing on it more now. Now, will it be that I'll set PRs, like true PRs for my whole life? Probably not, but I'm never ruling it out. And I'm always trying to go for it. And, you know, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a master's runner, yes, but I always line myself up and say, I'm going to beat everybody that's on the starting line. Love it. It may not happen, but I'm always going for it. <laughs> what keeps you motivated after having a disappointing race or workout? What, what keeps you from not dwelling on that and just moving forward, as you just mentioned? Well, I mean, it's only one workout. And again, consistency is a big, big thing for me. And I know that um, I, I know over the years that, uh, in fact, when I was younger, and probably it was because I was getting my body more used to running and racing, I would notice that there was almost a cycle, right? There was like, I would have three good races and then I would have a bad one and, and it was always hard to explain but I just attribute that you can't always be at the top of your game like your body's not always going to be performing at its tip top so don't get all you know frustrated um, about the fact that you had a bad race or a bad workout um, it will come back your consistency and your training if you have that you know it will enable you you just hope that it come all comes together when you want it to right <laughs> on those key races that you've really been focusing on so um, but yeah I don't get too hung up because uh, I know that it's just one race or one workout and it's it's not um, it's not going to last forever so that's great and let, let me ask you something else. And that is um, one thing about you, Lisa, that's different is that you are a high level runner. You participate in so many races. You are very much entrenched in the running community, yet you really don't um, use social media that much. You mentioned Strava and you use LinkedIn, of course, but how has that impacted you, if you know, and what are your thoughts about social media and the running community because you've seen running before all of the social media and you see it now. Yeah, I think, I think it's because I have been running so long <laughs> and I've never been um, into social media. I just, when I was working, I just never had time for it. And I just, I, I don't like to get caught up in the in social media. It's just not me. I, I, I mean, I, I, a lot of people use it for other things than, um, than for promoting good things. And so I just have not been one to get caught up in it and I haven't changed from that. Now I have two boys that are totally, you know, all in. Um, but you know, I, you probably check, I don't do Facebook. 
I have not befriended anybody on Facebook. I check it every now and then marketplace. <laughs> That's about it. Um, and so um, I, I just, I don't plan on changing that. Now, I, I, I'm, you're asking me why I haven't done podcasts or why I haven't, I, maybe there's a lot more out there that, that I, that I um, could be doing in terms of, um, you know, podcasts and promoting running. And maybe I should consider that because uh, I'm all for promoting running and promoting women to, you know, to get into running if they have inhibitions to do so or anyone really. Um, so, but it just hasn't been my thing, Julie. I, you know, that's, that's really, it's as simple as that. And I haven't really considered changing it personally think that you're promoting running in the most effective way. And that is you're showing up every day. You're showing up at races, you're showing up at workouts, you're involved in your local running community, and then you get out there and you participate Mm -hmm. in races on a national level. So you absolutely are promoting the sport as a woman. And, you know, not that you asked for my opinion, but my opinion is that I think it's great that you are focused so much on what you're able to do and putting yourself out there and doing your own thing and not allowing sort of the external forces to influence you. And the reason I bring it up is because like you, Lisa and I have really seen such a change in how runners communicate and how coaching tips and, and running tips are communicated now because of social media. And there's a lot of good to it. But there's also a lot of negative and it's just, it's really interesting and refreshing to meet someone who's been running as long as you have and at the level you have and to uh, be able to avoid it. And I, I think it's really cool. So that's all. It's definitely yeah, not, a, really not a criticism all at all, but more of just a, a, a almost an observation and um, highlighting that you can still run at a very high level and do all the things without talking about it on a platform. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would much rather just be the example, you know, cause I I'm big on, you know, if you can see it, you can be it. If I can see it, I can be it, you know? So, um, that's, that's more important to me, you know, so I can be an example, maybe a role model for young girls, young women that are up and coming. And, um, and I, I was um, always big on that when I was in my career at General Motors as well, you know, mentoring and, and, and helping others get promoted. So, but yeah, that's just my style. Right. And, um, and I just, uh, I think that's a lot more effective for people to see as opposed to trying to, to, um, to push it in people's face on social media. So 100%. So you mentioned about mentoring um, young women and promoting women as a corporate executive. And you also have drawn in your writing a lot of analogies between your success in corporate life and your success in running. So can you talk a little bit about that? Well, you know, I think just success, um, the recipe for success is very similar regardless of what you're doing. And that that's really my point. You know, there's you, you've got to plan, right? Have a plan, stick to the plan, um, you know, benchmark, compare your, you know, you know, look, look for what others are doing to be successful. Um, you know, take notes on what is working for you and, um, and, and continue to nurture that. So, so that's, to me, I've seen that that works, whether it's in business, in sports, in life. Um, and, uh, and I think that's powerful. And that's why, yeah, I, I wrote, um, you know, an article on that, because I think people can benefit that from that. Um, you know, again, whether it's business related or sports related or personal related to work for me. 
So when you are in a high pressure situation in business or a high pressure situation in a race, what are your tips for when you are feeling nervous, anxious, or doubting yourself? How do you get out of that space, particularly with respect to racing, given how well you race and how consistently you race? You know, I've never been one to get really nervous before races. And I, I do know I have a couple of friends that just get like really stressed out and almost nauseous and whatnot before a race. And I've never been one like that to be like that. Um, and so maybe, you know, relating that again to business, I, I'm a problem solver. And so I, um, I kind of thrive on, you know, crisis type situations and handling the difficult um, situations that come my way. Because I take it and it's like, okay, that's a problem. All right, step back, you know, assess it and what, you know, let's figure it out. Let's figure out what the plan of attack is going to be. And um, it's been very successful for me. And so that's probably, I mean, that's the way I approach my running as well. It's like, okay, this is a race, have a plan. You're going to go into it. You've trained, you're ready for it and just go execute your plan. Right. And so I, I don't get nervous about, um, you know, about the running. No, what I think we all as runners, you know, we know it's going to, if you're going to really push yourself, it's going to hurt. And so that's what you go and it's like, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> Bring it on. You know, just, you know, what's coming. Um, so, uh, so I just, I guess my mind, I, positivity is just so key and I'm, I'm a positive runner. I'm just a positive, you know, positive, take, take the glass half full scenario in, in general, in life, for life in general. And, um, and so I, um, I always look at races. I, I look forward to them. I mean, because I think it's just another challenge that I'm putting myself towards. And, um, and so if I don't have a good race, we talked about that earlier. I don't think that all is lost. Um, I pick myself up and I have a, I set my plan for my next race or my next training that, uh, that I'm going to do to, to, uh, improve my time for next time. So. I love that. And, and you are an engineer at heart and you're a problem solver and, and you are very good. It sounds like at looking at things objectively and not internalizing a bad moment and saying, therefore I am a bad runner, a bad racer or whatever it is that you're, you're pursuing. No. And that is, that is a really, really important skill. And the fact that that's innate for you and comes naturally is such a huge benefit. And um, I'm sure as a mom too, it's helped you through many crisis modes <laughs> over Absolutely. the years. Yeah, probably more so in, in, <laughs> as a mom than anything. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that when you were saying, I really like crises. I'm thinking, yeah, that probably was your jam when <laughs> we all have many assurance. That's right. Yes. Uh, it's like you, you just have to take it in stride sometimes. Yes. No <laughs> pun intended. Help yourself and your kids out of it. <laughs> yes. So what is next for you? Will you, um, do you have any races on tap, um, coming up this summer and fall and will you be at Boston next year? Well, um, you know, I, I, didn't get involved with USATF as much when I was working, just didn't have the time to even know what was going on in the USATF um, arena. And so last year, uh, you mentioned, you know, some of the, the record that I set in my age group, um, that was a USATF outdoor track event. And actually, I set the 5k age group as well on the outdoor track event. It's not officially in the books yet, but I did that um, in Indiana. And, um, and I also set the 12K road race um, age group record last year. And I am, 
this is another bucket list item, Julie, is Joan Benoit Samuelson held it prior to me. And so um, when I broke the 12K, I broke Joni's record <laughs> for the wow. age group last year. And so, so I am, I'm, I'm looking at a lot of the USATF races and the Atlanta race, the 5K Masters that I mentioned, that was um, part of the um, series that they do. And so, uh, so a few of those on the docket. I'm, I'm trying to decide whether I'm going to do a marathon this fall or not. Uh, I think the reasons why I did well with those marathons last fall, uh, Boston and Philly, was because I didn't do a spring marathon. I, this just came to me as I was looking over my training and whatnot. I didn't do a marathon. Uh, that, that was the first marathon I did for the year in October. So I don't know if that has something to do with, you know, my body responding um, so well. So, so I'm trying to decide this fall. I may or may not do a marathon. I might wait until um, the spring to just do Boston again. Um, and that'd be my next one. But I have all kinds of races like picked out for the year. Yeah, I'm, I'm always uh, probably at least once a month, um, especially in the summer, it'll be probably more a couple times a month that I'll be racing. And what's your favorite distance um, of all the racing that you do? Oh, gosh. Do I have a favorite distance? I don't know. I love them all. <laughs> love it. Um, I mean, I, I, I mean, marathons are special because, I mean, there is nothing like, especially running a good marathon and getting to that finish line. There's nothing like it. So um, the marathons are good, but, you know, that's not something that you do all the time. So. Um, I don't really have a favorite. I'll be honest with you. If I'm having to think this hard on it, it's not like I have a favorite. I, I like all distances. They're they're all they you know, you have to come, you know, with a different plan for every single one of them. So they're all fun and exciting. <laughs> which which tells me that you're out there having a lot of fun because you're racing a lot of different distances and doing a lot of different things um during oh. this phase of your running. So in yeah. closing, there's so many great nuggets and so many great takeaways from our conversation, but if you could leave our listeners and particularly our master's listeners with any advice, what would that be right now? Um, consistency, keep it up, right? Um, listen to your body. Uh, don't, you know, don't overdo it. Don't try to run somebody else's training plan or race schedule. Um, and be positive and have fun with it. Just appreciate. I'll tell you what, that just the older I get, the more I appreciate the ability to do what I'm doing. I am having so much fun with it. And I'm just so grateful that I can. I really, every single day, you know, when I'm injury free and I'm able to get there and I look at some others that maybe have injuries or other limitations that, that they can't do the things that they want to do. Health is everything. And so I'm just grateful. Um, so I would tell everybody, you know, listen to your body and just be grateful and appreciate what you can do. And don't get down on yourself if you're not running or doing exactly where you want to be, you know, just put a plan together on, on, um, on how to improve and how to get to where, you know, what you set your goals at, but be realistic about your goals as well. And understand that, you know, we are getting older and, you know, maybe we don't look at 
PRs um, as much as we do as, you know, age group. How do we place in our age group? And that's what I love about Masters Running and the whole USATF circuit is that it's almost like this whole new world out there. You don't have to worry about getting old and getting slower because now you're age group graded and you can kind of see where you stand um, at, with an age group grading. And um, that, that can be very motivating and exciting. Absolutely. Well, Lisa, it's been such a treat to talk with you. And uh, we very much hope that we get to meet you in person sometime, whether at the beach that'd or be of awesome. course, that'd be awesome. Or of course, next year in Boston. But thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, we know that so many of our listeners like me today will get, gain a lot of wisdom and takeaways from all of the advice and information that you share today. So thank you so much, Lisa. Wow. Thanks. I was happy to be there. I'm honored, honored that you're actually, um, you know, inviting me to this podcast. So thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryan. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.